Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. On this episode, we wanted to talk about rates and what you should be charging, whether you're a mastering engineer, mix engineer, producer, and how to value yourself in the industry. So you want to chat about it, Sam? Let's do it. Perfect. So Sam and I pretty much figured out that you have three steps or parts uh, to charging a rate. And whenever you get into rates, it can get a little bit weird because essentially you're putting a value on yourself and you're asking, does what I am doing offer a value to someone, a group, mm-hmm. or whatnot? And uh, it gets a little weird. So that's that's kind of the question that you're asking whenever you're charging a rate. And essentially you're saying, what value do I offer? Yeah. Um, what rate do I ch- what rate do I charge that at? And it's more your value is defined, or the value of anything is defined as what somebody is willing to pay for something, a right. set of goods, a service, etc. So that's essentially the question that we're going to be asking. And then in a service driven industry, uh, how do you get into that? Do you get in originally charging a rate? And this is what yeah. I'm going to be asking Sam. Sam has. Would you say it's like a, a little under ten years of experience in doing yes. in doing this, Sam? Yeah. So, I'm going to be asking Sam. I might I might cue in a little bit myself, just because I just started charging a rate. Yeah. But more nonetheless, this will be an episode of uh, Sam explaining how he got started. And you might be asking, well, what the heck does it matter? People with under ten years of experience saying and how to like get into this industry. And the reason why that's important is because I'm not saying that people with over 10 years of experience don't know how to do anything. I'm saying that stuff has changed and there's an, and there could be new ways about going about this process. Right. And me personally, I want to learn from someone who's literally had to like cut through all this crap as opposed yeah. to someone who's been in it for a while. Yeah. I mean, good for them if they've been able to hack it. I just... I want to learn from someone who's recently had to do this. Yeah. And who's like building up their name and and that's a pretty reputable name in town. So that is pretty much what we're doing. So um first question I'll ask Sam mm-hmm. um is should you at all or how long should you uh do pro bono or free work? Should you work for everyone as well? Like should you stick to a genre or should more nonetheless should you start out working for yeah. free uh working for free to me is something that a lot of people say you have to do uh in order to create a business in the music industry and i think it comes from this old school idea that you have to like pay your dues and like you got to hustle and grind and like build up this portfolio before um, before you're able to say that you're professional or you're good at what you do. Um, in Nashville, I know plenty of people who are very good at mixing or mastering or songwriting and producing um, that are better than a lot of people that charge money, um, but they still can't figure out how to make any money off what they're doing. Hmm. Um, for me, when I first started, I never worked really for free, quote-unquote. I started with engineering and mixing, and 
I charged a low rate, uh, basically that was appropriate for the town I was in, which was Bloomington, Illinois, which basically like that town really has no music scene at all. Mm -hmm. Um, There's one studio in town where I worked at or worked out of, and then eventually I got, you know, a microphone and some monitors and set it up at home and people started coming to me. And I think I started charging $15 an hour for engineering and mixing. And uh, I did that because that's all the people could afford, or at least that's what I thought at the time. Sure. But you never started out, like, doing free work. No, I really didn't. Um, And do you think that's pretty rare? I think it is. I I know it's rare because I know plenty of people who still do free work. And for example, like I've done three things this year for free. That's more of a policy within how I work my business. So like my school of thought with the way I charge is basically I will charge my rate, full rate, 99% of the time. And then occasionally... If it's a client that I work with a lot, I'll give them potentially a discount if they're really busy. But we always start at my rate. And Mm. if I'm discounting it, it's very little. Like, it's pretty much the full rate, but it's not... It's enough to make it still work for everybody, if that makes sense. So say it's like a 5% discount or something, where the I want to work on the project, the producer's great, the mix is great, and, you know... I would much rather work on something I enjoy than make an extra 5%, if that makes sense. Then the other thing I do is I will work for free if I really want to do something or if a client comes to me with a really low budget. um, And I think that this project is good or this engineer is good or this artist is going to be good. I will just do the project for free. And I do that because... um, I found within myself when I work for a really low rate, I'm actually more frustrated and I feel more undervalued than when I work for free, if that makes any sense. Um, there's something about working for free that creates this kind of like zero debt, um, no one like owes me anything and kind of situation, where as opposed to like if I cut them a deal, then it kind of feels weird because it's like, oh, I've cut them a deal, don't they know like how lucky they are to work with me for half off or 75% off? As opposed to free, it's just kind of like a more, um, it's a better way to start a project, I guess, in my experience. So does that make sense at all? It does. Um, and I mean, I just came out of the whole doing work for for free. I did go that route. Yeah. And it was more learning and honing a craft. Yeah, absolutely. As opposed to, I don't know. And and I guess I, I, I have this very sensitive sense of um, like making sure that like I am providing something of value and yeah. worth to somebody. Yeah. And before I charged that rate, I wanted to make sure that what I was doing was going to be of value. Right. Um, Yeah, and see, that's when it gets complicated because it's basically you, and we'll get into this, um, you know, you, if you're going to master something, 
for free, you're only mastering it because you actually think you can do it, I'm assuming. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're not going to say you're going to master something and then not even know how to master it all, I feel like. Um, and so my approach has always been since day one, if I'm doing anything that is adding value, even if it's on a lower, say, amateur level, um, mm-hmm. I'm still going to charge people because at the end of the day, people are taking up my time and I'm providing them with something that they can't do. Even if it's me recording someone in a closet in an apartment in Bloomington, Illinois, I'm still going to charge them something because they cannot physically do it and they don't have the skill set to do it. And I've put in the time, some amount of time, to at least become an amateur where I know how to hit record and I have a semi-treated room and I have a decent microphone that sounds okay. Does that make sense? So I've always been um, someone who charges and the people in my experience over the last really eight years or so um, that do not charge or charge a low rate are continually frustrated, continually feel undervalued, Um, and they usually work with crummy clients because clients that are not willing to pay a quote-unquote professional rate usually won't even, they're not even willing to invest into themselves, and at that level, music for most of them is probably just a hobby, realistically. Mm -hmm. Um, It's kind of like, if you want to think about... um, I don't know, anyone who does any sort of craft, you know, an artist or a house builder. You know, I did a renovation on my house and I originally bought a really entry-level tile cutter to do my shower. And I learned very quickly that that entry-level tile cutter, although it cut tile, uh, it didn't do a great job. And once I took that back and rented it like a very, uh, I'll say, professional tile cutter machine, uh, I got the end product I was really looking for, but it cost me mm-hmm. a lot more money, but it got me what I wanted and it got me the look I wanted. And, you know, when I go to resell the house, it'll look a lot better than if, you know, I would have went with that cheap tile cutter. Does that make sense? Definitely. Definitely. So that's kind of like, kind of my thought on, you know, charging a rate. Um, and I've just, I don't know. I've just found that unless you start putting value on what you do, no one will ever value your product, no matter how good you are. Like, I've always felt like from day one, I was adding a lot of value for the context that I was in. Does that make sense? It does. So, like, me charging a low rate and doing a quote-unquote amateur job um, was appropriate and actually good for the amateur artist who had nothing. So... The music industry and business and life, to me, is it's all about taking one step at a time, you know, the next right step, doing the next right thing. So I don't recommend going from, like, charging zero to, like, $1,000, but I do recommend charging something that contextually is appropriate for what you're, what you're giving people and what you're providing them with um, as far as an end product goes. Well, nice. And it's just interesting, the how you are not willing and and i i don't want to make that sound so um terminal yeah but how unwilling you are to say i am not going to put a value on 
what I am doing and and not not saying that you should. Yeah. Um but how you're saying everything that I do for you has a value. Yes. And thus comes a appropriate uh price for that. Yeah. So yeah, I and think, with me, yeah, go and ahead. W- with me, like what I was saying is, I really wanted to try to cut my teeth in the industry. I right. just really came from front of house, and uh, I had a, a a background of several things that really made me have to pay attention um, t- to what I'm doing in a very detail oriented sense. And I had a couple people along the way say, "You should check out mastering," and I never yeah. really much cared for. Uh, producing or uh, engineering, uh, I I entertained the idea for a little bit, but I think mastering is really where uh, where my heart fell. And yeah, I was looking around and outside of uh, music centric cities like Nashville, yeah, it's a uh, it's a little bit more difficult to get that p- paying clientele because everyone's right. going to be asking. Well, who have you worked for? Where right. what are your credits and everything? Because that's how everything is based. Yes. And so I try to do anything, just try to go on websites like Fiverr and whatnot. And before they get all giddy thinking that's a plug, I went on there, I think, for a couple of days and felt like a whore and took myself off and realized <laughs> that I would rather personally do something for free right. than for five dollars. And yeah. that's where it gets really interesting because do you like it's like, but you're getting money. It's like, right. no, I'm getting $5. Right. I'm like literally pouring hours of my time into something and you're just giving me $5. Right. Yeah. And that's not even like, that's not even like a monetary exchange. Exactly. It's just like, I'm getting screwed. It's like the whole thing, how like a penny's worth like a penny and a quarter yeah. to make. Right. But it's worth a penny. Right. It's like, you're getting screwed. Absolutely. So... Uh, yeah, so I, me personally, I would rather do something for free than not at the rate that I value what I can do. Right. Uh, work at. Right. So that's, uh, that's the difference that I at least, uh, see in it, but I, I, I don't see it as, I don't see it as bad. Right. So st- staying, uh, staying around the same question. Yeah. Starting out, uh, should you take on all types of work? Should you work for everyone? Should you, or should you stick to a specific genre? Are yeah. you, or are you going to be like, if you don't want to be working in trap and hip hop and rap, and yeah. If you don't want to be in there, uh, if you, but if you do the work there, are you going to be known as that guy and then you get right. stuck? Right. Yeah. So, so where do you where do you see that? Yeah. So when I started, I worked on anything and everything uh, that was paying. And um, I was just so hungry and desperate to get compensated for mm-hmm. doing music that um, I didn't, I, I just, I was a beggar, so I could not be choosy. Um, and I worked with rappers, I worked with pop artists, I worked with high school kids, junior high kids, parents who thought their kids should be pop stars. Um, I did jingle stuff. I did something for grandparents. I did any and everything um, to make any sort of money. And Mm -hmm. I quickly found myself uh, very exhausted, very tired, very frustrated, very undervalued. Um, And I wish, like, someone would have told me, you know, years ago that I could 
pick and choose what I wanted to work on, which doesn't mean like, you know, you might not make as much money initially, but you start to build up your brand and you start to build up what you're good at and what people know you for, if that makes any sense. Um, yeah. And so back then, my concept of music was just, I guess I'll just, you know, do this thing and if anybody will pay me, then I'll, then I'll work. And what happened was I just started working on all these things and I felt like I was, you know, I was being spread so thin and I wasn't really getting good at anything, um, any specific genre. As in any one genre? Yeah, I wasn't getting good at any genre. And I also, when I started, I was producing and engineering and mixing and quote-unquote mastering. Um, And I just like, you know, I was trying to be good at everything, which made me just okay at everything. Like I wasn't excellent in anything. I was just okay, and I was just better than the other guy, but in a super small pond, in a pond that Mm -hmm. doesn't even matter. Um, And so, you know, if I could go back, I would have not worked with probably 90% of the people I worked with, um, and I would have tried it and found artists or people that were a little more serious um, that I could have invested into. Um, mm-hmm. and that's when I guess I maybe would do work for free per se, um, and still do a little bit, you know, here and there is if there's an artist or something that I really want to work with, I will offer to do it for free. But most of the time, honestly, at this point, they end up paying me anyway, because that's just how it works. And I think that's the thing that you discover, um, the farther you get into the music industry, you learn that it's truly a business. It's all about money. And most people don't have a problem paying you money for a service if you're solving a problem for them. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you may get that money a year later if you're working for a label because they pay so slow. Um, but you will see that money eventually. <laughs> um, and I think that's what for me, gave me a lot of encouragement and hope once I moved to Nashville and I started to um, work on larger projects and meet people that have done uh, a lot more beyond me. Um, I understood that people do this every day for a living. It's not weird to get compensated correctly for music. Um, Mm -hmm. And at the high level, um, or let me just say professional level, (laughs) high levels doesn't mean anything. But at a professional level... um, you usually get paid a professional rate. And I've found that um, when you present yourself as a professional and you charge a professional rate, people take you more seriously and they're more willing to work with you um, because that's what they're used to. And it's interesting that, like, for me, when I spent years doing work for next to nothing, um, people just expected that. And um, people that were... People that I artists I really wanted to work with that are used to paying say a hundred dollars an hour and working at a nice studio didn't want mm-hmm. anything to do with me because I essentially was like, and I love the dollar store, but I was essentially like the dollar store to them. Like they're just they just don't run around in that circle. Does that make sense? Like once you get on a certain level, and this is with all of life, like you tend to hang around the people that are all like you. So if you're middle class, you usually have a lot of middle class friends. If you're upper class, you usually have a lot of upper class friends. 
if you hit a certain lifestyle, usually you only hang out with other people that are in that lifestyle and you never associate yourself with the other, I'll say, you know, class system or classes. But um, this seems like it's a little bit easy to break out of. It's really just about the value that you decide to put on the work that you're correct. providing. Yeah, I mean, that's... I mean, there's plenty of guys I know in town who don't, I'll say, don't do great work, but they get compensated really well because they've created, you know, a brand and an experience. And it's not that they're doing uh, bad work, but there's plenty of other kids that I know that, you know, mix better, engineer better, produce better. Um, Yeah. And I think that's the thing. Like, you're, it's all about the brand and it's all about, how you want to present yourself and what level you want to be. So like when I started out, I wanted to like work with, I was into rap and hip hop a lot. I did a lot of production and mixing and engineering and stuff like that. And I really wanted to work with like Jay-Z or Kanye West or Eminem or something like that. And, um, you know, I wanted to do that and I would have killed to do that, but I was not ready. Like I wasn't putting in my, putting myself in a position to even make that happen. Like, Jay-Z's not going to come to my apartment and record his vocals in my closet. Like, he's just not going to do that. And he doesn't even want to talk to me. Like, <laughs> he doesn't want to talk to some kid who only charges 15 bucks an hour because that's what an amateur charges, and Jay-Z's not an amateur, he's a professional. And so he wants to pay a lot of money and go to a awesome studio and work with the best producers and record on the best gear and make, you know, the best album possible because he wants to be the best and he takes his craft very seriously. So there's a market for that. And uh, you, the cool thing is about being in the music industry is you get to pick kind of where you want to land in the industry. It's just a matter of if you can... um, you know, brand and present yourself and also deliver. I mean, you got to be good at what you do. Like, that's a very big factor, but it's not the most important factor at all. Mm-hmm. You know, there's there's plenty of successful albums that sound bad. There's plenty of terrible songs that are number ones. Um, and that just doesn't, that just doesn't matter. Like, what matters is, you know, what do you bring to the table where do you want to be in the industry? What do you what do you want to make? Who do you want to work with? And then you have to figure out, you know, what do, what do those people like? It's all about finding your your target client and audience. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So moving moving forward a little bit. Um, so I I I started for free, like I had said. Yeah. You, uh, like you had said, pretty much always charged a rate. Yeah. And. <clears throat> So on to a question of, uh, or at least I, I, I imagine that this would be step two in at least my list is uh, one being doing work for free, two yeah. being uh, beginning to charge a rate. Um, you having always charged a rate, how did you decide on a rate? And I can get into mine as well. Yeah, so my rate was decided on what I thought was a lot of money at the time. <laughs> Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense, like I had an anchor in my life of uh, of essentially how much I should be paid and what type of lifestyle I should live, and I was 
uh, kind of given that based on where I grew up and the type of town I lived in and the type of friends I had. Um, and so at the time, I thought $20 an hour sounded like incredible. And mm. I would just calculate, you know, okay, if I work 40 hours a week, uh, $20 an hour, I'm making $800, and then I have to pay tax and blah, blah, blah. And all of a sudden, I'm making, you know, $20,000, $30,000 a year. And that's more than I can make if I go work at Target full-time or, like, get an entry-level salary job. Um, and so to me, that was, like, uh, the end-all, be-all. You know, if I could just get paid 20 bucks an hour, um, I would be just so happy. <laughs> and um, so that's what I picked my rate. And that essentially, you know, I, I got paid 20 bucks an hour. And what you get when you charge 20 bucks an hour is you get artists who can only afford 20 bucks an hour. Um, an artist who and can, this was originally to produce. Yeah, this was producing and engineering and mixing. Um, mm-hmm. And then they would ask me to master, which at that time was just an L2 or an L, you know, 316 or something. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't mastering. It was just taking off four or five dB. And eight years ago, that was really loud. So loudness wasn't really a thing. Um, well, it was kind of a thing, but not like it is today. Um, but yeah, my the way I picked a rate was basically based on what I had determined in my life was a lot of money. Um, and as I went on uh, over the last eight years, I've learned that we all basically set anchors in our life and an anchor is whatever you think you deserve or kind of like your ceiling. You could call it your ceiling. Um, and basically, you have the freedom in life to move that uh, or take off the anchor fully and not set limits on yourself. Um, it's been very interesting over the years. Every time I make a new goal for myself uh, for the year of you know, the amount of work I'd like to do and what I'd like to bring in, um, I always hit it somehow. <laughs> like, mm. um, you know, and that's the only way I've gotten to where I am and gotten to, you know, been full-time for a long time now and um, I don't see it ending. And, like, this year's been absolutely terrific and I'm so grateful for all the work I've gotten to do. But, like, I made a, a nice goal this year and, um, you know, it's November, almost December, and I'm I'm ahead of my goal but if you would have told me 12 months ago, like, you know, basically when I when I set the new goal, I thought there's no way. There's no way I'm going to make this or do this amount of work, this amount of projects. And somehow shifting my mind to being like, no, you know what? This is what I want to do this year, um, and I need to make this a month to hit that or X amount of projects. Um, I'm, like, right on track and slightly ahead. But it's been interesting because, like, immediately... Uh, I started making exactly what I needed to do, and it was almost like, you know, it set a fire under my butt again of like, okay, mm. I need to do this, I need to do that. But I just found it so interesting because, like, once I hit my goal for the month, I was kind of like, okay, my my month is good, you know, and, like, I'm super happy. And I never thought to myself, well, why don't you just keep going? Like, <laughs> for some reason, I hit my goal and it was really satisfying, and I would just kind of be like, oh, well, this is terrific. Like, I didn't even expect to make this. And, uh, you know, here I am making it, and um, it's really nice. And, you know, then the next month would start, and you do it all over again. And um, so I've really, like, shifted my mindset over the years of, you know, I thought I thought $20,000 was a lot, and then I thought thirty and forty and fifty and so on. And now, 
you know, like, it's it's really up to you. Like, if you want to work hard enough at it, if you want to, um, you know, become a professional, uh, you you make a professional rate. It's really that simple. Now, getting to that is hard, and that's a whole other podcast, but that's essentially how I started my rates, and then I've been raising raising my rates and working with different clients um, based on a much larger goal that I have now. But that's kind of how I started. So what are your thoughts so how on that? Did, yeah. uh, how did you switch from... And you'll see some mastering guys who still do an hourly rate. Yeah, I think I think Bob Katz does an hourly rate yeah. along with a couple other, mm-hmm. uh, couple other people. Um, do you think that an hourly rate is what mastering should be, or do you think it should be more a per track type thing? Yeah. And how did you really decide what you wanted to do? I know you're a uh, you're a per track kind of guy now, and that's the way that I always went. And yeah. Uh, me just necessarily not brand new to things, but I'm about four years into like my study of it. My first year actually, yeah, like going after it pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Um, how uh, like like I, I I didn't I didn't want to go in as an hourly rate just because I might be fiddling with a song right uh, back and forth, take it to my car a couple times right. and say, nah, this doesn't translate well in my yeah. room or this translate really well in my room. I don't want to charge somebody for that. Right. So you, however, are, uh, still a per track, uh, service. So yes. how, how, how did you decide that? How did you decide I want to do per track as opposed to hourly? Um, I moved from an hourly rate to a flat rate for a number of reasons. Um, one of the first reasons was, uh, clients want to know what it's going to cost when they're budgeting. Mm. So budgets now are very um, different than 20 years ago where there basically wasn't budgets. It was just send me the bill when you're done kind of deal. <laughs> um, but now people have basically created a set amount of money they want to spend on something and they've allowed uh, X amount of dollars for each part, hopefully. Uh, a lot of people don't even account mastering into the process. Normally um, you're at the end of your budget and the end of correct, your timeline. And yeah. it's, hey, I hope you can get this through. Exactly. Um, so I found charging a flat rate um, takes the worry and guesswork and concern out of an artist or a client. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of the most important things you can do uh, in this industry is take care of people's worry because they're basically, when you tell them hourly, the industry is so full of, of bad people. And there's, um, I think the industry overall is very good, but it's so full of people that backstab and take advantage and um, don't deliver what they say they will. That when people hear hourly, they just think, oh my gosh, what if this takes 10 hours and then we spend our whole budget on one song? Mm-hmm. And then they're like, I can't work with you. Like, I've found people are more willing to pay me a higher amount for a flat rate than if I gave them a lower amount per the by the hour. Yeah, I was saying that whenever someone posts an hourly rate, mm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> me yeah. being the skeptic that I am, yes. I always just feel like I'm going to be taken for a ride and yes. I'm going to be my wallet is going to be taken advantage of. Right. And 
I just, if I ever see that or if I have a friend who's showing me somebody who charges an hourly rate of somebody who they don't know, I'll normally advise against that just because yeah. it's, or someone who's not known, I'll advise against it just. Right. Uh, I mean, I just think that we're in a world of people who like to take advantage of other people. Correct. We well, are. if you're having somebody who's saying, yeah, I'll do this for an hourly rate of whatever, and they have your, say it's a master, and they have your, uh, they have your record for a week. They can really put whatever they want on it. When right. on day one, hour run one, they just ran everything through an instance of a plugin. Yeah, and now they have it for a week, and they can say whatever they want. Right, and I don't know. Then they can. I I don't really know what happens if you want to negotiate that rate or if you're calling BS on it. Yeah. Never really gotten to that point. I've seen yeah. some people online saying, "Am I allowed to <laughs> say this band's name and not to work with them?" Right on certain forums and pages and whatnot. Yeah. So, um, I mean, I just, I just never want to get into that situation. Right. It's, it's all about. It's like, hey, know what you're getting into. Yep. You knew what the rate was. Yeah. And you knew what we were going to be charging you. Right. So it, it, it's the whole thing of. Right up front, budget, no surprises. Exactly. Yeah, and that's, and I think that should be the name of the game. Yeah, that's how you, that's how you create a, a returning client. I think is. I mean, that's how you should run a business. I mean, yeah. you're not going to take a, you're not going to take a case of water that's ninety nine cents or a dollar up to <laughs> right. the register and then be like, oh, well, that's a uh, five dollars. Right. Like, but that's not what was. That's not why I bought it. Exactly. Because I bought it because it was this price. Yeah. Or I brought it up here because it was this price. Then you go and raise the price. I mean, it's like that's not how this works. Yeah. Yeah. So. And the industry is so competitive now that um, you know people will quote me against other mastering engineers in town. So me saying they'll shop for a rate. Or? Yeah, they'll shop for what fits the budget. Um, and that goes from indie people to labels. You know, like. I'll have labels or artists that are on labels who are more independent now and they just use a label for distribution or something come to me and say, hey, I've got 10 songs, we need this, and we need an alternate and a TV and you know instrumental version and what would that cost us? And I have to give them a number right then. You know, There's no like, oh, well, it may be 18 to 20 hours and that ranges from this to that. Like That would never fly anymore. Um, because there's just so many options. And, um, you know, you can make the argument that, well, if you're, you know, really who they want to work with, they'll pay, you know, they'll pay you whatever, which is semi-true, but... Um, but also know. going on to value and speaking on yeah. terms of value. Yeah. It's like, at that point, what are you as a, like, someone who is, like, someone as a creator? Yeah. Like, like what value are you putting on your creation if this is how you treat it. Yeah. As in going around and budget shopping and assuming that every mastering engineer is going to be able to do the exact same thing. Right, right, yeah. And that's part of the the uneducation of mastering, you know. People not people don't understand the value of mastering anymore. They don't the mo- most people, not all people, but you know they handful of people. Yeah, they don't um 
they don't understand it as well as production or engineering as songwriting and mixing because it's not as tangible because it is a really hard thing to do to master well, I think. I feel like people don't understand mastering and the value of it, so that's why they shop around. Um, and usually uh, I get, I'll say, the gig or the project uh, most of the time. Even if I am a little higher, um, it's all in the way you present yourself and the type of experience you're going to create for people. Um, and also I think a lot of it has to do with um, people work with me because I solve a problem for them and I do it on time and mm. I do things that they don't know how to do at the end of the day. And so for their peace of mind, um, they would rather pay me a higher rate than to work with someone who makes it a little more complicated. Um, and that's one of the, the ways to me I've, I've been able to charge a higher rate is A, I offer a really good product, but also my whole onboard process is smooth. Um, the way I interact with my clients is smooth. I know what they want. I know what they need to hear. I know uh, that deadlines are usually quick. I know that... Um, things come up and so I'm flexible when they need a different singer mm -hmm. on a mix and I may have to master a song again. Um, I kind of build all these um, what-if scenarios that actually happen more often than not uh, into my mm -hmm. cost. And so when they work with me, all they get is uh, a professional experience instead of, um, say, five years ago, if someone would have been like, oh, I've got a another singer that we need to put on the song, I'd be like, well, oh my gosh, you know, well, you need to pay me my full rate and blah, blah, blah. And because mm -hmm. I'm charging so little, I have zero wiggle room for anything to come up in the process. Um, and that's not a that's not a very fun way to run a business when you're constantly pinching pennies and feeling like, um, you know, like if anything came up, it screws your whole uh, month up. And, exactly. Um, you know, I was there for a long time, and uh, honestly, the <laughs> I don't know what it's else to say. It. Yeah, it's not worth it. It's not worth the stress. Like back then, nine to fives looked so good to me, and I would have just killed to have a paycheck. And there were multiple years where I would apply for a nine to five, you know, and just be like, I'm done. Like, just give me the paycheck because this is. This is just not the way I want to live my life, you know. Um, but once I began to, I'll say, take myself more seriously, present myself better, um, also invest, I invested into myself a lot over the last four or five years in learning um, and with gear. And this isn't an argument of that you need gear. I just, for what I like doing, I, I like having a few pieces of analog gear or more than a few pieces now, but... Um, but yeah, I, I just think that charging a flat rate takes the worry and care, um, away and it allows people to just focus on, um, knowing that their, their problem will be solved and that you're not going to screw them over and drag them along, you know, for months and then give them a huge mm -hmm. bill. Um, I know very few people that charge by the hour and I think even like at Sterling, their initial rate is a flat rate. And then if you need to do revisions or an alternate, they may charge by the hour. But I know also within Sterling, uh, everybody's different and every project's different, <laughs> which yeah, you know, is a whole other topic of some people get special treatment and some people don't. 
and some people get different rates and some people don't. And it's important to, um, you know, keep that quiet, I'll say, because that can cause mm-hmm. a lot of issues. Um, but, you know, it's it's all about relationships and business. If you've been working with someone for, like for me, there's a few like engineers I still work with from, you know, five years ago who didn't make a lot of money back then and I wasn't making a lot of money back then and they didn't have the budgets, but I really liked their work and I could tell they were committed like I was committed. And, you know, five years later now they're booked solid and they're one of my best clients, you know, and now mm. they're paying me a pro rate. They're getting paid a pro rate. So there's something, you know, there's something to be said with that of doing work at a cheaper rate if you find the right people to invest into. Um, But I really like within this whole conversation, I just want to say like it's so contextually based and project to project based. Like some of my bigger projects have been, um, you know, not my full rate, but because I did that project, it led me to 12 other projects. So that's awesome. You have to continually weigh, you know, is this worth my time and what does this mean if I do this, how can I leverage this? How can I use this to get one step further, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to say again. Like it's within rates and with the music industry, it's all about doing the next one step. Like because the thousand steps eventually lead to the career. You can't focus on step 50 or 95 or 520. Like you just got to do the next step that's best for you and best for your client. And sometimes yeah, we used to say it as like yeah. sometimes in life the only thing you can do is take the most the most logical step. Yeah. And well in the future that might seem like it was a bonehead decision. Mm-hmm. At that time, those were the only like whenever you're looking at a problem, it's kinda like you're looking at a math or a physics problem. Right. It's like, okay. At least for me, it's like what are my givens? I know that I have this, I know that I have this, I know that I have this. Right. And I want to get from A to B. Yep. How do I use what I have? Yep. As knowns or givens in order to accomplish that. I mean, you can only work within the parameters that right. you are currently right. uh, living in. Yeah. So, And the other well, thing with saying all that of like leverage, leveraging like projects or artists or labels to get other work, um, that may feel weird to people that aren't in the music industry or aren't in the business, but for people that are in the business and in the music industry that do this day in and day out, there's really no weirdness within the community. Like, people don't feel used. People just understand this is a business, and that's kind of the only way you kind of get to make it a living. (laughs) So it's not, uh, you know, it's not weird, and people don't think it's sleazy if you want to, you know, say that you won a Grammy and that you then deserve to work with better people. People, Mm. like are kind of like, yeah, well, that's good. I know he's actually good at what he does, probably. So I do want to work with him. Um, and that goes back to, like, taking care of the needs of people. Like, the higher up you go in the industry, people want to know that you're going to do a good job, and they want sh- they want to know that you're going to, like, knock it out of the park. They don't want to have any issues. They don't want to have any hang-ups. Like, they want to know if they come to you that you're going to, do what you say you can do and help them meet their need because they're just trying to move forward just like I'm trying to move forward. And they know mm-hmm. that if they can get the song out by this date, you know, and it's going to sell this amount of copies, then they can make X amount of dollars 
and then you know you start the process all over again. It's just a constant. It's a constant flow. You know, project come mm. in, project go out. Money comes in, money comes out, and that's business. Like it's it's really not that hard, but we make it really hard because we get. Um, you know, we have a hard time determining value and we have a hard time... You get hung up on that. Yeah, we get hung up on it and we care a lot about what people think. Um, you know, I went through a period of time where I thought if I charge too much that people will judge me and think I'm not worth it. Um, and so I would charge less just to make myself feel better about the people who hmm. worked with me. And that's kind of a weird, you know, one day I was just like, you know what, I do think I'm worth this amount of money and I think I add this amount of value and if people want to say I'm not worth it then they can go find someone else um, and I had a few people do that but overall every time I've raised my rates I just make more money and I work with better clients that's my testimony like well and I think that's a I think that's a good segue too to uh, once you already have an established rate and a rate that you've been working yeah. at for a while, and we can talk at perhaps how long you stay at that rate that yeah. you originally set, but then getting into raising your rates. And yeah. like it's kind of a ballsy proposition. Like, how right. do you deal with that? How do you, one, know it's time to raise your rate? Yeah. Um, like, how, like, like how, how, or by how much do you raise it? Right. Um, and then do you deal with any client loss? Yeah, yeah. When you raise your rate. Yeah. So there's kind of a few ways I think you can look at it. Um, can I add one more? Yes, go, please. Uh, where is the peak that you raise your rate to? Like, how do you know when you've gone too far? Ah, uh, yes. Okay. Uh, well, let me, my opinion on this all is uh, you can raise your there's kind of two thoughts. One is you can raise your rates whenever you want because you think you're worth it. That's mm -hmm. one way. And you just do it and then, you know, it's kind of like ripping the Band-Aid off really quick. The other way to do it, and this works for a lot of people too, is you start out at, say, a cheaper rate that gets you some work and gets your name out there. And then when you get busy enough to where you're turning down clients at that rate then you raise your rates. So mm -hmm. say you're working at 20 bucks an hour and now all of a sudden you're working 60 hours a week at $20 an hour and you're just, you know, overbooked and you've got plenty of clients who pay 20 bucks an hour. So at that point you raise your rates. So say you raise it to $40 an hour. Now mm -hmm. you're, you know, say you lose some clients. Well, going to 40 would be doubling your rate, which is kind of a lot for your current client. So say you go to like $25. So then once you get busy enough with $25, you know, an hour work, then you keep going up. So that's the other way. Um, that way takes a long time because mm. like I just said, going from 20 to 40 is doubling your rate. And for people that have been paying $20 an hour, that's huge, you know, and you could mm -hmm. you just think of it as like, okay, I was paying $500,000 and now I'm paying a million dollars. Like that's how it feels to people because money is like it's a it's a moving target. You know, wealth is a moving target. So twenty dollars to forty dollars feels really bad, just like five hundred thousand to a million dollars feels for people. Um, and so 
that's kind of the two ways that I've seen people do it. Um, I pick the route of just charging a lot more money. Um, a few years ago, I pretty much doubled my rates um, mm-hmm. on everyone. And I knew for the last couple of years before that, I was doing work that was worth a lot more than what I was charging. Yeah. And I thought, um, you know, I got I got busy essentially, but what I did too notice was like I... I wasn't making enough money to make this really worth long term. Like if I wanted mm-hmm. kids and retirement and, you know, if I wanted to do the things that a normal person does and desires, you know, in their lifetime, uh, this probably wasn't going to work at this rate, you know. Um, even though I was busy and making quote-unquote money, um, I eventually just doubled my rate because I truly thought, you know what, I'm worth this amount of money. And uh, I had one person, just one person, throw a fit about it and said, like, I ruined their whole, um, you know, basically their whole project and I ruined their everything they they were planning on you for mastering. Yeah, yeah. And basically they said it was my fault that I was putting them in a tough position. And, um, you know, I just apologized and, and held my rate and they ended up paying it. Like, <laughs> because it's one of those things where like, sure, it may, it may put somebody in a tough position for a minute, but if they really like what you're doing, they're going to pay it. And the amount of time it takes to find someone else to work with and like to learn if you can trust them, mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to do. It's um, kind of like a mechanic. Yeah. So it's, and especially when, like, I mean, you do good work, and I do good work, and when you know, like, deep down in your soul that you're doing good work, then you kind of know, like, I am worth this, and I'm actually worth a lot more, but, you know, mm-hmm. I'm. this is a rate that allows me to do what I'm trying to do in life. Um, and so that's kind of how, for me, I, I'm, I'm getting paid a rate now that allows me and my wife to do what we want to do, um, mm-hmm. And it allows um, us to live the lifestyle we want, which looks completely unique to us. And so that's what I want everybody to hear too is like what we've decided to make and, and you know, what I want to make each year is strictly based on what works for us best. You know, if someone made, there's, I'm, there's probably other people in the industry, actually I know there's plenty of other people that are making more than me but still can't pay their bills because their lifestyle is, you know, they're not disciplined or they, they spend way too much money, basically. Um, and that's kind of, you know, you got to find the balance and find what, what works for you. But what do you think about it, Matthew? I mean, you've, I know you're just like kind of starting on all this, but I mean, you went from nothing to charging something and it seemed to work. I feel like I'm a very modest, I don't know, see me even saying this, it makes me feel like, feel like I'm not a modest person, but I feel <laughs> like I'm a pretty modest person Yeah. in terms of what I'm charging. Um, I think I lost a client or two when I started charging, but yeah. I think, I mean, it is what it is. And I mean, of course, I hope I get that client back. And it's kind of yeah. funny because it's not even really for the money. I just really liked that music. Right. Um, <laughs> that's the funny part. Yeah. Um, but everything else, I, uh, in terms of raising my rate, will I anytime soon? I'd, I don't know. I'd like to I'd like to get out of the box a little bit. I'm yeah. not saying that gear whatever makes 
like makes the the engineer or whatnot. Right. But I mean, I think that time behind whatever gear you do have, yeah, uh, puts a value to you. And it's kind of like in the cigar industry. I used to had have a cigar store before. For yeah. people who don't know, before uh, doing what I'm doing now, along with mastering. Um, if you break down the actual brass tacks of how much a cigar costs in terms of uh, time in the ground to time in like a curing barn and yeah. a fermentation barn and the people who uh, roll the cigar to the packaging to the end user yeah. and everything. In a perfect world, the most expensive cigar probably costs you about a dollar thirty-five to make each yeah. max, and and that and that's max. Yeah. Um. So, I mean, you have to, you have to kind of like look at that, and it's like, okay, so why are cigars sometimes going to run you fifty, sixty, seventy, and on up? Yeah. Uh, and the only thing that I could really dumb it down to is aging time. Yeah. You have some cigars that are 10, 20 years old. Or yeah. Whether it was aged in cigar form or whether it was in tobacco bales or whether yeah. it was how, however long it was fermented or whatnot in the tobacco barns. I mean, that, like, like, that time is the only thing that I can really put a value on. Yeah. Um, in order for, like, a re- and, and they're trying to factor in some return on investment there. Yeah. Um, so in terms of me, it's like, yeah, I could raise my rate tomorrow, but I'm more trying to get my name out there as opposed to someone who has fluctuating rates. Right. So I'm not saying I'm apprehensive to do it. It's just that I'm not going to really until I have, um, and not even more experience, just more time just like, Doing what I'm doing, and more yeah. like people who know what I'm doing. And I guess I guess that equates to experience. Yeah. Um, but I mean, just people like having a a faith that whenever they hand me their project, they know that they're gonna get like that. I am going like when I used to uh, wrestle in like high school and a little bit in college. It's like they say like you leave it all on the mat. Like you yeah. come off like. The wrestling mat, like yeah. exhausted, like right. you can't, like you can't go upstairs or anything. It's like you leave it all on the mat. It's like right. after I'm done with the project, it's like this is the best I can do. Yeah. Uh, if I did any less than that, then I would have this guilt about me. It's kind of like yeah. the whole thing. It's like some people, like you, instead of ten dollar bills, the cashier at Target hands you a hundred dollar bill. It's like, do you go back in or not? Yeah. It's like I would have this like immense guilt. If I handed back something that I just half asked yeah. and ran a right series of like a of plugins on. Um so me personally, I'd like a little bit more experience before I raise my rate. I think yeah. my rate is competitive. Mm-hmm. I think if I were if I were to go any less, uh I mean it's a value game too. Right. If I were to go any less with my rate, um I feel like the value that the person would be putting the service that I am offering on, I don't think that um, it would be as like valuable to them if I were to offer, let's just say I was going to charge $15 per track. Yeah. I don't think that's as valuable as charging what I am charging. Right. And regardless of me doing the same thing or not, there's a mental thing going on there too. Right. 
So, and I, and I don't necessarily want to get into the psychology of it, but I mean, there's psychology there. Oh, absolutely. And even though I would be giving the same product, the value is not there. Right. So, and not saying that you need to pay for value. Well, but people do I think, though. Like, of course. That's why. But like, I, 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 I believe that, bag. like, I believe that with that experience and with that knowledge, should come a little bit of a higher price tag. Right. And I, I mean, eventually, if I was charging, uh, or not eventually, but if I were charging fifteen dollars a song, then eventually I would not be able to do this anymore. I would not be able to uh, progress myself and eventually it would just be me weeding myself out. Yeah. So if I wanted to stay in this game, I have to keep up with what I believe the value is. Yeah. And if I do not increase the value, then I can't move forward in this. 20 years down the road, if I'm charging the same thing that I currently am, uh, I think I'd be doing a disservice to myself. Um, Mm -hmm. I mean, everybody would be getting a better master than they would be 20 years in the past, i.e. now. Right. But, I mean, at the same rate, I think I'm doing a disservice to myself that um, I'm not putting an adequate value on what people would pay. Yeah, absolutely. For this. So if someone like Bob Ludwig was charging $50 a track, would people still use Bob Ludwig? Probably. Yeah. Um, But there's also, like you said, a psychological value that if... uh, who uses Bobo? Like John Mayer. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that, like psychologically, would there be that same attraction to him because there could be very well someone doing work just as good as Bob does. Right. Um, but they're not catching the eye because they're not the number one guy in the right. game. Right, yeah. So, and there's a value that comes along with that as well. Right. So... Yep. I mean, with me, will I be raising my rates anytime soon? Probably not. I don't, I mean, I don't see a benefit to me in it. Yeah. I mean, of course you have a financial benefit, but I don't see me being able to demand a higher, like, caliber of clientele by doing that just because yeah. uh, I'm kind, I'm still a bit green to the industry. Yeah. So in terms of, in terms of you doubling your rate, like, like what you said, I don't. I don't think that I would be able to do that. And I know every time you and I talk about it, you're like, "You should raise your rate." Right. And it's like, I would love to, but there's not a benefit <laughs> currently into it. There may so, be though. You may not just know. You might not know it yet. You know. Maybe. I think also within all this, you know, you got to think about if you raise your rates, you don't have to do as much work, um, and that is can be very beneficial to freeing you up to then get the type of clients you want. So like by me doubling my rate, I to make the same amount of money, I just have to do half the amount of work. So if exactly. I just freed up a whole half year, 6 months, if I just freed up 6 months of my life, I can do a lot of things with 6 months. Like I can I could do a lot of free projects. I could I could get a job you know, and make a lot of money. I could also take that six months, and this is what I do, is I then go and market to people, the people I want, you know, and I market to the people that pay that rate. And uh, finding those people 
are harder, they're harder to sell because most people that pay a professional rate or have been in the industry, normally they have someone they already work with. So you have to help them understand why you're a better fit or could be a better fit um, for them. And, um, you know, that's what I started doing was spending my time finding those clients um, in my free time. And that then just pushed me even farther along in, you know, in what I make and what I do in my career. So well, here's a question. Yeah. Do you think that location, uh, where you currently in your studio, where you are based, uh, can demand a higher rate? Yes, I do. I do. So, and with and with me, uh, the reason why I believe that, and the reason why I want to keep my rate a little bit lower, is because uh, with Charleston. It's a music scene that is in a very, very cool infancy. Yeah. And it's neat seeing it grow. It's neat being a part of it. Yeah. Um, but more importantly, it's very interesting being on the ground floor of things. Yeah. And watching it grow around you. Yeah. Um, and... I think with that, eventually, uh, being able to do more and more artistic things like this in Charleston will, at one point, demand a higher rate. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I, I think th- that's also where I'm at. Yeah, I mean, I think with Nashville, like, I can charge a higher rate, but there's also such a saturation of people that, you know, do the same thing I do. Um, mm-hmm. that charge less, but still don't have work. And there's something to be said about that. Like, you, I really believe that, like, you can charge what you want and find the clients you need. And, like, with digital, I mean, like, probably 30% of my clients aren't even in Nashville, you know? Mm. Like, there's plenty of online work of clients that are coming from Connecticut, Atlanta, New York, LA, Minnesota, Michigan, like, Texas, I have clients all over the country. I have clients in London, like Australia. <laughs> I have clients all over the world and they still pay me my rate, you know, even though they're in like, you know, I have a guy who who is in Texas who is not in a music scene at all. His town is not a music place, but he still pays me my rate, you know, instead of going to the local studio guy because he wants a certain quality. Um, and he wants to know that it sounds the best it can sound. Um, mm-hmm. So there's that there's that side of the argument too of, you know, it's. I, I think it all comes down to like, what do you need to do specifically for your business at this moment? It goes back to the next right step. Like for you, I think you're right on track with everything you're saying, and I think you know your business best. And so I think what you're saying is good, but I think for you know, for what I'm doing right now that there's a different, I'm in a different place, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm in the middle of the industry. Nashville's booming. People from L.A. are moving here daily, you know. And it's like, I don't know. I'm, I just love Nashville, and I think there's plenty of work out there, and I think it's a matter of, um, you know, marketing yourself correctly, providing a great service and a great experience. And, uh, you know, solving problems for people. That's what we do. We solve problems. So That's it. Yeah, so I think that, I mean, everything that we talked about, I think was, I mean, right on point with where we wanted to touch on. And it was really just 
uh, that we believe that there are three steps to charging a rage. Sam, it seems more like there's, you think there's two. Uh, me yeah. personally, I think at first that you should do a little bit of pro bono work just to cut your teeth, to get a little bit of clientele. Yeah. And, um, but when you initially charge that rate, at least for me, I think that you're going to see a little bit of a client loss just because you're going to have some people who just want uh, your service for free. Right. Yeah. And they're just going to continue on doing what they're doing, only they're just going to see mastering as just turning the volume up. Yeah. Um, uh, step two, uh, as beginning to charge a rate and what to charge, how to value your work, and how to how do other people value your work? Yeah. Uh, when do you? And then uh, three, raising your rate and uh, how to know where you raise and establish rate two. Yeah. And when do you know that you have taken it too far? Yeah. So and then how do you deal with like losing clientele? And it looks like Sam and I have a little bit of different experience uh with that but yeah um i mean who knows i mean you're just gonna you're gonna get everything so right um yeah so sam you have any uh you have any words you want to wrap up with uh i think the only thing i would want to wrap up with is raise your rates (laughs) (laughs) you're not charging enough (laughs) you're not charging enough you you're worth more everyone who's listening you do things that people need and you're worth a lot more than you think. So raise your rates. Nice. Well, as always, thank you all for tuning in. Uh, stay tuned for episode three or I don't know, however we post this. So well, this will probably be episode two. Yeah. So stay tuned for episode three of the Attack and Release Show. I love that name. I do I'm too. so glad we have a name That's now. great. No more identity crisis. We have an identity. Yes. So, well, perfect. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Have a good morning, evening, afternoon. I don't know. Whatever you're having. Whatever you're having. (laughs) Have have a good one. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you're having, have a good one. Have a good one. That's how we're going to sign off from now on.